I I have a recording from when Gaia was little of her putting a lavalier mic in her mouth. <laughs> and it sounded a lot like that. Oh, for real? I figured it would, it would sound moist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little more moist. Good point. All right, I'm here. This episode of It Will Probably Be Okay was recorded on July 28, 2020. all set today on it will probably be okay a genius a buffoon and a storyteller discuss shit i wish i'd known about adulthood and together we figure out will it probably be okay i'm the kenji a marketer who's about to start a whole new job i'm nick i i like turtle (laughs) and i'm gabe woolenberg and i'm in my house still some more always Maybe forever. All right. Well, before we get started on the meat and potatoes of, of, of today's podcast, does anyone have any mini topics? And I say this knowing full well that I will, even though I'm hosting today, um, also pitch in too many topics that I simply must discuss. I can start first. My mini topic is Amazon. There, there's a lot you could talk about Amazon, but I, there's just one aspect of it that I want to talk about today. In 2018, 13 million packages were delivered per day by Amazon. Also in 2018, China, which previously purchased a lot of our recycling, stopped taking a vast majority of it. Jeff Bezos is Amazon's owner and the richest man in the world, and he's been further enriched during this pandemic. When ordering from Amazon, you see a lot of waste. I've gotten multiple packages per day when I thought that things would just come packaged together at different times. I'm always seeing Amazon trucks driving around now. And then items are double packed. So, you know, it's it's in a cardboard box and then Amazon tosses it in another cardboard box just to double your amount of waste. At Amazon, with its gar- gargantuan size, cares little about this waste, it seems. Actually, they are content to let this remain our problem as the consumer. Amazon only paid $162 million in taxes last year. The previous two years, they paid $0. They made $13.9 billion in pre-tax profits last year. So all of this is to say, maybe it's time for the government to tell Amazon it owns the trash and the problem. <laughs> That'd be the day. Oh, yes. Wishful thinking, I know. The greatest trick that Amazon pulled, and they've pulled a lot of amazing tricks, but the greatest trick they've pulled is that there's a whole subgenre of YouTuber out there that buys Amazon refurb boxes blind and goes through them on the Internet. So, yeah, not only have they outsourced the garbage onto their consumers, but the stuff that they do take back they sell to people in giant blind boxes. I didn't even know that was a thing. People will buy a $150 Amazon mystery box, and it's just a box of refurbs and returns, some of which work and some of which are garbage, and people go through them looking for hidden treasure. The downfall of society continues. 
I paid $250 for $1,900 worth of tech. The only catch is here, I have no idea what's inside and it's all Amazon returned. So what's your mini topic? What's, what's making you happy or sad? My mini topic this week. Uh, do you guys know what a tanuki is? No. 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 Wait, wait. How do you spell it? A T A N U K I? Correct. <laughs> tanuki is a magical shape shifting composite creature from China and Japan. It's essentially a raccoon typically shown having a jug of wine and a uh, little bit of mask uh, or a little bit of money, a little bag of money, a big tummy, maybe sometimes wearing a straw hat and a gigantic set of balls. Now I have to Google this. And the thing about them is their balls are magic and assist them in their shape-shifting powers. Oh my god, these images are... (laughs) (laughs) What have you done? What? The reason that I'm thinking about Tanuki these days is of all the Mario Brothers power-ups that there have been, hands down, the Tanuki suit wherein he turns into a magical shape-shifting raccoon might be one of my favorites. That exists? Yeah, the Tanuki suit, Mario Brothers uh, 3, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yes, when he can fly. Well, that's the raccoon suit, not to be confused with the Tanuki suit, which is similar except he can turn into a stone statue and then Goombas can walk through him. But yeah, that's that's my that's my jam today is... The Tanuki and his giant magical balls. Is that the first time you've come across it? Like, did you come across it because of Mario or is well, it? As a child, yeah. Like that's where I first came across it. Um, oh, wait, this has been this way for quite some time? Long, long time, yeah. How the... have I never? It's ridiculous, yeah. like Yeah, there you go. That's exactly. <laughs> Why a well-endowed raccoon dog is big in Japan. <laughs> The the one that you see the very first hit there with the like the woodblock print from mm-hmm. 1881. So in America, we were having cowboys. And in Japan, <laughs> in 1881, they were making drawings of giant raccoon scrotums pushing the pushing rich people over. I love it. So if you were wondering where you can learn more about Tanuki, let me recommend to you the Studio Ghibli film Pon Poco, which is a story about a group of ragtag rebel raccoons standing up against capitalism. I, I have never heard of this before. Yep. Whew. Okay. I'm going to do two things because they're really like mini. But one, definitely not as excited as, as Tanuki. But I just want to announce to the world and like to you guys, but I already announced this to Nick, but I think it's important to, to, to announce it to the world. I paid $8.99 for a can, a 12 ounce, wait, is this 12? A 16, 16 ounce, yeah. a 16 ounce can of Gypsy Outpost Imperial Pastry Porter, with, which comes with coconut, vanilla beans, cocoa nibs, and cinnamon. And it was an accident. But that sounds delicious. It was fucking delicious. It was like drinking cake. But (laughs) 
Eight ninety nine is a reasonable price. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I can't say much. I spent way more on beer. Don't tell my wife. For sixteen ounce can. For yeah, for oh yeah, oh yeah, a single one. I was just so mad. I was like, why is my bill so high? Because I just come like I didn't want to like. Oh no! It was about the receipt. And I got home and I was like looking at each of the individual cans and I was like, what the f- this shit is nine dollars? I was, mm. but at least it tasted good. So like my rage is like, like I can say never again, but like it was, it was, it was good going down. Also, gypsy is an offensive term and I wish that they would um, not use it. Then the next part, the next piece to like, these are all positive things, I think semi-positive but i just want you to know and this is not gonna make any sense to you that i coded a find our bear page map for gathering place brewing just to be clear i i did get help with some of the javascript and whatever code necessary but i styled that shit myself and it was arduous and i really thought i was stupid for most of the time when i'm working on not motivating myself by being down but i figured it out and it looks slick as shit. Awesome. And I'm like, yeah. Yay. I'm gonna miss doing this shit. And also, like, whenever I'm doing coding stuff, I always feel bad to be charging still because coding is like 90% figuring out the exact code you need. And a lot of it is just research. <laughs> Especially as a non-programmer, I always struggled with charging one-to-one for my time when I was doing CSS work, right? Um, I got over that, though. (laughs) (laughs) You know, realistically, like, yeah, you could hire a CSS guy who could probably do it twice as fast, but, like, you would spend the same amount of time spinning him up to speed on the project, so I feel like it's a wash. But congratulations. Few things in life are as satisfying as when you finally get that CSS to click and it does exactly what you want it to. Ah, It's magic. I think this is a good segue into things you didn't uh, like understand. And I'm going to add this as like a side note, but things you didn't understand about adulthood. And I would file that particular one under the concept of work. Yes. And what counts as work. (laughs) Because as a kid, I definitely felt like, you know, like when you're five, work is all a doctor, lawyer, a garbage man, a construction worker. And then as you get older, it opens up your mind that like you, you, you know more about what work can be. And then as an adult, you're like, this is the shit I get paid to do. What, what? Like, how is, how is that even, how does any business make enough money to make it worthwhile to pay a person to do social media? I still, I do it as a career. <laughs> and I am frequently like, yes, I do value my work. I do think that you are paying me for expertise because like how I, you, you know, you putz around with CSS and HTML and you're trying to make this stuff work. And like, that takes much more time because of my experience and my expertise. I can give you answers in a time frame that isn't going to be days. It's going to be like 30 minutes, an hour. Like I can figure out that stuff really quickly. And that's what you're paying me for. But how is this work? It's work because 
because none of the other people, if you weren't there, that would have been responsible for, for doing it, would have been able to figure out how to do it or wanted to spend the time doing it. And that's the part that I think, like, as a kid, you just, you think, I well, uh, let me not speak for everybody, but as a kid, I definitely had this 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 framework of work being some sort of contribution to society. And I think that's also why I struggle with like my social media work and like its value to me, because it's just always been like, how does this contribute to society? And sometimes, and I think maybe as your career progress, it might get less and less about society and more and more, especially if you want to get paid. And I would like to get paid. It becomes more important that like you get paid. The great thing about America is though, I'm convinced that I can one day find a career where I get paid and yet still contribute to society. But regardless, like as a kid, work seemed more based on value to society. And as an adult, I'm realizing work is definitely not society based. It's more uh, corporation and business focused, which makes sense, but also seems less valuable. What are your guys thoughts? I, I, I have to say, I, I love the topic today. There's a certain subset of people, myself included, when you say adult, adulthood, like thanks to kind of college in America and kind of how we do things, I think we've managed to kind of extend childhood into our 20s or maybe it takes us longer to get to adulthood. So some of the lessons that I want to talk about today are things that I learned well, you would consider me a 22-year-old and I was an adult. Technically, I, I, I feel because of college and because of a lot of different things, we don't actually attain that adulthood until a little bit later. So my reflection on what you're talking about and, and what I kind of learned in relation to work that I uh, wish I'd known earlier was that switching jobs is your friend. Um, I, <laughs> I stayed in my first job for nine years and thankfully, uh, I met you two, but also it became pretty clear to me pretty quickly when I finally moved that, you know, th that's how you get a raise. That's how you get different responsibilities. That's how you, that's how you grow as a professional. It's how you expand your network. It's how you see different styles of work. You know, certainly for our generation now, the, the, you know, 40 years at a company and out doesn't seem realistic. So, you know, honestly, you're better off being the one jumping than, you know, letting it happen to you. Nick, I like I like where you're going with that. And it's really weird because when Nikenji, when you talk about growing up feeling like the value of work is measured in the contribution that the employed is making to their community, maybe not even society, but like to their community, right? Like, it is it is that's exactly what my vision of work was as as a young person. My father was a lifelong educator. My grandparents were all uh, my grandma was a librarian and all around me were people who were doing what you would call sort of social type jobs. I also didn't really have a job until I was 18. I had no idea how to work as part of my transition out of wanting to be a teacher into wanting to be a, a writer and a storyteller and a buffoon and a marketing person and eventually a journalist and then back into marketing and then PR and then marketing again. And then finally returning to education, I had to learn to, to work on the way. I had to learn what work even was and how I could be good at it. And so, Nick, when you talk about 
at 25, are you really ready to adult? I don't think I was ready to adult. So I think it's really interesting to Kenji that you would, would, would hit on that, that idea that work has to have a social value when from all observations from outside, that isn't the, the majority of people's perspective on it. Okay, but we we have, you guys kind of talked about adulthood and adulting and like the different times that you have these realizations, these, these different ages. So that brings me to my, my second point. When I was 10, I thought 20 year olds were the oldest people ever. <laughs> they were so cool. They were so adulting like. When I was 20, I thought, okay, so 30 isn't actually that old. And actually, I'm adulting now, but like, I'm not an adult. And now I'm 30. And I'm like, well, shit, 40 doesn't seem that old. And like, I don't, I like, I am doing adult stuff, but like, <sighs> fine, I'm an adult, I guess. Like, I guess at some point you have to put a pin in it. Like, this is adulthood. But I don't quite feel like I have shit together. And, and like the definition of adulthood for me as a kid is always having a shit together. And I guess what happens is like the older you get, the more you realize that no single adult at any age has their shit together. And once you peer in close enough, that adulthood just fucking disappears. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to hit 40 and be like, well, shit, I guess. <laughs> so this is a Maybe I'll feel <laughs> So adulthood is a classic moving the goalposts kind of problem, <laughs> right? I think that's a really, really interesting reflection. I am curious as to whether or not you guys have this observation. Today, as I was outside for the third straight day building a, a chicken coop, I sat there going, neither my dad nor my father-in-law would have the luxury of having to figure this out over the course of three days. They would have done it in 18 hours and been done. And then they would have come in and yelled at me. And it's taken me three days and I'm putting dinner on the table and I'm keeping the house sort of from falling over. Like, but like, I am not building a thing in a day and having it done and then having drinks and going to sleep. Like, and that, that's my vision of adulthood, right? That's how the, the adults in my life would have done it. My life too. When I sit down and it takes me three days to hang, to put a fence together, like what he could have done in 45 minutes. Like I sometimes wonder, is adulthood even possible? Well, I have to say that growing up adults, well, not, not all adults, but my parents, specifically my father was definitely like, you do it until it's complete. And so when I'm doing tasks, I tend to keep going despite getting frustrated. And yes, that has served me incredibly well. But I often wonder what it would be like to actually pace myself. You mentioned like uh, they would finish an idiot and they'd come in and yell at you. Yeah. And maybe you're better for it to pace yourself and still be pleasant to your family. Mm -hmm. Maybe, but I think it's less about pacing myself and more about uh, incompetence in the work I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be that. <laughs> At the end of the day, really for me, it is a, this sense of worthiness that I struggle with every day. And I'm trying to not make this a downer because the reality is I'm pretty damn proud of the work I've put into this chicken coop. It's looking really good. It's coming together exactly like I wanted it to. 
you know, it's also not going to stand up to a hurricane or a, an earthquake, <laughs> you know, because I am no constructionist. Uh, but I can write the hell out of what the experience was like and the emotional presence I had throughout it. And, you know, n one of those is a skill that will help people like have food on their table. And the other is a skill that will require that you go from door to door panhandling. <laughs> and and I'm, I guess that's that's I guess when you talk about lessons that I wish I would have known about adulthood, I would frame it around that like your skills are real and valid. And even though they might not be skills that people will pay money for, that is a luxury that we have. You can have artistic experiences and emotional experiences, and those aren't less valuable than construction experiences. They're just different. I would say, too, I mean, in the work, in the work that we all do for a paycheck, things take a long time. They require multiple approvals, you know, all of those types of things. And, and I do find myself now thinking there's something so satisfying about starting out on a project, whether it's a three-day project or a, you know, 10-hour project or whatever, when, you know, you're actually going to get something done in a short amount of time and it's physical work and you're doing it. I, you know, not to say that I would want to do that as my career, but I, but I do find some sense of serenity in just self-directing some work, which is something I would have never thought I would say when I was 15 years old. Yeah. Brilliant. Cause when this is done, I'll have a chicken coop and I won't, I won't have to build another one. Right. For um, us here, we bought a house eight years ago and within a couple years, we started replacing some of the windows um, it took a couple of years, but we replaced all the windows in the house and the amount of happiness that seeing those new windows brought me was something I never would have guessed would be an emotion I would ever feel. I think the teenage me would think the 35 year old me is pretty lame, but the 35 year old me likes the 35 year old me. I have always said that 17 year old Gabe and I would not be friends, mostly because I would want to yell at him and he would want to yell at me. And and neither of us would be super interested in listening. So like you talk about what I would summarize is like adulthood is gratification and experiences that your younger self would have considered mundane. And I find that interesting. I mean, I agree. Let's see. Like, I think I, I do believe that I agree. But at the same time, and like I don't know what's going on, like how how I can maintain these these like um, concurrent like positions. But your best experiences happened when you were a kid. Like for me personally, so I feel like yes, yes. In fact, your school years are the best memories of your life. And as a kid, I definitely thought, shit, when I'm older, I can do whatever I want. I'll make even better memories. And then you arrive at adulthood and you realize better memories usually requires resources. And since adulthood means responsibility, your resources probably aren't going to stretch enough for the bestest experiences of all time. And also because in your teenage years, you were poor, you now have money and resource scarcity mindset. So like, yes. I totally understand rationally how like 
these simple things are so intensely gratifying as an adult and you definitely didn't think of these things I, I feel like if I bought a house and I replaced the windows shit I'd feel so good but definitely as a kid that was not on the list of things that I would have described as wild <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean but like you were kind of saying that the most exciting time yeah. of your life is your childhood Really? I, I mean, part of me wonders if you feel that so acutely because you're experiencing so many things for the first time. And that's probably it. It's probably like a good majority of it. Like this, this, like everything's new and fresh and exciting. And, uh-huh. and, and it's just like, wow. And like, you still get like, like your heart still flutters when the boys from fifth form walk past third form. And it's like, oh my God. But all these things are just so new and fresh. Like, I don't think I get excited about anything anymore. That's a thing for therapy. But definitely I could recall experiences like that on mass in my like less zero to, I let's even say 22 years old. And then from after that, it's just kind of like, I also think it's hard to remember the times where you were just bored out of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like when you were a kid and you, your your friends weren't around or you had nothing to do and you were just like kind of bored out of your mind. Um, Yeah. I, but I do think you're hitting on on something that that, like a deep truth, which is that as a, as a child, as a kid, or, you know, as a youth, your experiences are very exciting and you cannot begin to fathom what it's like to be an adult <laughs> or what your life will look like. It It's unrecognizable from your life um, when you're younger. Nick, absolutely. Like you have no idea. Like seven year old me has no idea that I would be living not only in the same town, but like raising a family and doing my dad's work. Right. Like all of that is some stuff that I, I don't think I could get. But I'm going to push back a little bit on the idea that childhood is the greatest time of your life. And here's where I'm going with this, Nikenji. And you tell me if I'm misinterpreting or playing semantics games with you. It, a childlike approach to the world, I think, is the most magical and wonderful time one can have in one's life. But I don't think that's time locked into a specific chronology. Specifically, there are moments in my recent past that I discovered new and wonderful things, that I learned that magic is actually real again, that I discovered that the ideas that excited me were all in my head. I just had no idea how big and and exciting my head was. That sense of childlike wonder is, like all human experiences, something that can be brought back into shape, right? This this day-to-day wearing down of the adult full dreaded adulting can make you forget how to experience something fully and with, you know, the beginner's mind is what I think the Buddhists call it, right? And and I guess where I'm going with that is like all things, your experiences are subject to just like your thoughts and feelings, neuroplasticity. And the more that you 
do things, the more your brain is likely to do the things that you do. So I think maybe I would say that, yes, I agree with you entirely, Nikenji. Childlike wonder is, a, is the best way to experience the world around you, but I don't know that it's chronologically locked. I. I do, I do think that, though, I, I would say, at least for me, and I, I don't know if this is your experience, Gabe, I totally hear what you're saying. But part of me felt like it was much easier to get in that space um, that you're speaking of once I had the boys and I was seeing things through their eyes, where prior to having them, I, I think I would have probably agreed with Nikenji. So I'm wondering if, if you know, you're, you're seeing this experience to your daughter, or if you're capable of like pulling this out yourself. Well, it's specifically something I've worked on. Like I've done, uh, you know, three day intensives that focus explicitly on rediscovering that that youthful sense of exploration. Gotcha. And that gets to something I wish that I could tell my 17-year-old self that I don't think he would be willing to hear. Therapy works. Like, get, just get over yourself and go to therapy. You will be better for it. And if your therapist sucks, get a different one. And that has been my sort of life's philosophy since I was 20, when I first started going to therapy and I worked with a wonderful lady um, who I pay $80 a month to tell me how smart and clever I am. Uh, but she also gave me this idea that you have within you the ability to give yourself room to grow and learn and do and experience things on your terms. If that. I think that's why I can go to this place where I can say, look, I can cultivate a sense of childlike wonder because I'm, I've practiced at it. It's deliberate now. It's not easy like when I was little. But like if I sit down and need to come up with 50 dumb ideas that might go in a newsletter, like I can do that on demand. And that is that is one of those useless skills that actually I'm really glad I have. So what I distill from what you've said is essentially that childlike wonder is a muscle and it has to be tended to. And the, the realm of adulting can dull it. And I can see how that can be true. Like, I, I, I genuinely can see how that can be true. However, in terms of like... Like when I think childlike wonder, I think, and I, I think Nick, you bring up a good point. I feel like if I had a kid, it's almost like permission to access that again. Yep. Like I have two other siblings. I'm the youngest and my brother's the oldest. And he usually was in charge of whatever the adventures were. And we had gone adventuring out into the neighborhood and in the distance, rain just started falling. And we, can, we could see it coming towards us from across the neighborhood. And like we just turned around and we took off and went back to the house. And we made it back to the house like within like two seconds of the rain making it to our house. And I just think of the joy, the thrill, the, the, the permission to just be like, wow, that was so cool. And I just, I can't, how does that translate into adulthood? Like, do you have permission to just like run away from the rain? And 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 the thing is, is like as an adult, no, no, you care what other people think. Like you have that added capacity. And I just can't imagine doing that as an adult. I don't know that I would want to, but maybe I would want to. But like, 
I wouldn't be able to say like, yeah, this is a thing that I would want to do. I, I, I don't know. You just said it. <laughs> well, I mean, like, say I'm down by the beach and like the rain starts coming. I feel like I'd feel like an idiot to be the one to like, I think maybe part of it is as a kid, if you have friends then our siblings, like you all have permission and it's much yeah. easier to do that. Kind of, and I think that's why having a kid might help because now you have this like permission because like you're doing it with somebody else. But if I'm down at the beach at Bradford Beach and I see the rain, I'm like, oh, I want to see if I can run back to my car before it hits. Like, what? <laughs> The things you would do as a kid would translate to psychopathy. That's <laughs> an adult. <laughs> hey, where's that lady going? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I never have that feeling. And maybe that's bad. Like, I would say that's a valid criticism of how I live my life. But I never am like, oh, my God, what will the neighbors think? In fact, too often... Uh, I rely on outside folks to say, hey, 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 what what do the neighbors think? Like, so, <laughs> I mean, just I love that you mentioned your brother, Nakenji, because I, I remember very specifically you telling me a story about you getting on your brother's nerves and because you were capricious and you just used the word capricious. Yeah, it's because I'm capricious. And he would just look at you in a glare and you go, see, that's capricious. <laughs> and like that has always like really resonated with me that story comes back uh when i think about it because that is so nikenji right like yeah i'm capricious you don't like it brilliant it's like asking someone to be your straight man it doesn't matter what they say they're part of the game now <laughs> um what you what you um were just talking about to nikenji reminds me of you know that that moment where you know you'd get on your bike and someone was like chasing you on their feet and you had to like push the push that bike pedal as fast and far as you could to get away from them. And all of a sudden you did and you were kind of like putting that distance between you and them and they were trying to catch you. And it's just like, yeah, like, I, you know, like there's there's some of these feelings or these experiences that are just so ingrained to childhood. And, and I think, I think in a sense, you are right. I mean, there's some of these experiences that maybe we can't relive, um, or we can only relive in our minds. I, I also like what Gabe was talking about. I mean, I think mindfulness and kind of choosing how to feel is an incredibly hard thing to do. And it's an incredibly hard way to live. But it's also really rewarding, because you open yourself up to experiences and some feelings that take time and effort, but are totally worth it. So when Gabe was talking about how exercising that uh, muscle of childlike wonder and how therapy has helped, I think that highlights my other point about adulthood and the things we didn't know. Adulthood is just you dealing with the copious amounts of ways you were fucked up. Sometimes in the midst of it, no, I, I think as kids, you don't know you're being fucked up. Like, I knew like certain things about my, my childhood were odd. Because mostly because I read a lot of books and I would see like, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever read like the, the, the you know, the, the, the books where the kids are solving mysteries, like Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys and like the famous Encyclopedia five. Brown. Yeah. yeah. Babysitter's Club. Yeah. And like, you know, what's right and you know, what's wrong. You know, what's like odd. But like in the midst of it, you're thinking to yourself, this shit's going to fuck up my worldview for the rest of my life. <laughs> 
until you're like 24 and you can finally afford um therapy and it's like no you have to admit that you have a lot of work undoing what was done and that's adulthood are you blaming encyclopedia brown for the onset of adulthood (laughs) (laughs) and i'm only kind of joking like because it's really resonating with something in my experience i used to tell the story i haven't told it in a long time so i might not get all the details right and i'll tell it quickly but when I was 18, and remember, at 18, I was in college, a friend of mine purchased for me a Green Lantern ring. And this Green Lantern ring was amazing. It was sculpted plastic, but it had this metallic shine to it, and it looked exactly like Guy Gardner, my favorite Green Lantern's ring. And I could put it on. I'd be like, oh, look at that. And I loved it. But having it and wearing it meant that I had to face the reality that I would never be a Green Lantern. It wasn't real. Even though all I wanted was this ring, the ring couldn't make the fantasy into reality. I used to say that's where my depression started. And it might have been where something, it might have been a a contributing factor. But that is for me when the magic died. And it took a long time and a lot of work to get to a place where I know I'll never be the Green Lantern. But like magical thinking, sometimes, not when you're the leader of of America, but sometimes, (laughs) sometimes magical thinking is magic. Sometimes there is magic. And that took a long time to come back around to. And some people maybe never do. So I I guess the reason I'm bringing that story up is, is I think that you're absolutely right that you can't go back to childhood. See, I'm reversing direction now. You can't go back to childhood, but you can get over that loss. I would feel so, so badly if uh, you spent your whole life comparing yourself to the Babysitter's Club and never living up to them because they were fake things were designed to go together for them. But at the same time, Nick Kenji, at the same time, I really did desperately want to be a green lantern at, at fricking 18. <laughs> for me, it was different. I, uh, so like, I'm going to give more detail for me. Like I knew the behavior of having an, a parent, who yelled and smashed things was not a positive or normal behavior because I read books where people's parents were kind and interested in their well-being. And if there was uh, a neighbor who was always shaking their fist at the kids and found them to be a bother, that was a negative thing. So like 
And then because growing up, I didn't like, we didn't really get to hang out at other people's houses. So I never really saw parents interact or adults interact in positive ways. So like the only way I really got that was from books. And so that's what I mean when I say like, gotcha. like that part of childhood being in it, like, yes, I knew it was wrong, like, but it was my normal, but like, I didn't realize how much it was fucking me up because I guess childhood books never talk about how like the neighbor always trying to kill you. I'm reasonably certain Joe Hardy was a good guy, right? Like, <laughs> If if I touch on one more thing that I had written down that, oh, I, sure. that I wanted to talk about, what I wish I would have known about adulthood, we invest so much time and energy and effort and pain and all of that in the friendships we have as children. And on the other side of it, when you're an adult, you realize how few of those friendships last and how... You know, if you're lucky, you get to have friendships that are a million times better and more mature than the, the ones that you had a, as a kid. You know, I remember talking with my college friends about how, you know, maybe we could all find a neighborhood together and all buy a home in it. What I eventually realized is that the 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 continuation of your friendships, either from high school or college, really, really, really hinging on whether or not whoever that person decides to settle down with and get married with fits within the milieu of the, the group or the friendships that exist or not. Because all of those friends that I talk about that I had in college that meant so much to me that we wanted to live together, I can think of at least three of them who found a partner that you know, maybe didn't think that our friendship group was as fun as we thought it was, or maybe that partner wanted to move to another part of the country or whatever, I, I've lost most of those friendships. And when I was in college, they were the most important things to me. And I thought that these would always be my people. So, I, I mean, I think we do invest a lot of time and energy and effort and, and also pain in those things. And, and you know, I, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time um, in retrospect perseverating on that pain because um, ultimately it, well, adulthood is about learning to deal with pain. It really is. You know, I have noticed in my life a lot of, a lot of times you don't notice the beginnings of things. But I have, I think, tried to notice the endings. And I don't mean that as bleak as it sounds, I can think of a handful of key moments where I was like, well, this is the last time this group will ever do something like this again. Uh, you know, one one a last dinner at Novak's in Whitewater with this group of people, uh, one last get together at <laughs> at a former employer with this group of people. Like there are moments where I have noticed that this is a transitional period and I have found that noting them helps me to remember them. Therefore, what is what is remembered lives, right? So I have that memory in the moment I let it let it I I recognize that this was a transitional 
period. And I was going to come through on the other side, mostly the same, but in a different context. So, <clears throat> so what have we learned? Um, I think this is like, this is a, a really good conversation about not just the shit I wish I'd known as, as a kid thinking about adulthood, but how that experience translates uh, with other people and um, in many similar ways and how you are now coping as an adult because you can't just escape back to childhood. So things we learned. When it comes to work, switching jobs is your friend. Experiences tend to be exciting when you're younger, probably because everything is new and exciting. And you also have no idea what life would be like when you are actually an adult. Then childlike wonder is a muscle and it must be tended to. Adulting, the bastard, can dull it. The things you do as a kid will probably translate to psychopathy as an adult. <laughs> in adulthood, <laughs> yep. in adulthood, friendships are now determined by the spouse that friend ended up with. And you can't go back to childhood, but you can always rekindle the magic. And with that, we don't know what the next 10 years are going to be like. We don't know if we'll ever actually call ourselves adults. But we do know it will probably be OK. <laughs> Fenton Hardy is the father of the Hardy Boys. <laughs> <laughs> a little quick research there. Good old Fenton. I always thought that name was a strange name. This is a very strange name. Definitely didn't age. <laughs>